Good evening, everyone, and welcome to DKM Market Analysis. Today, David Shonis, co-founder and partner of DKM Market Analysis and Capital, and we have Kyle Lynch and Masoom Jane also on today. Hey, everyone. Glad to be here today. Hi, everyone. This is Masoom. Glad to be here. So I know we spoke with you all uh, about two weeks ago, and we've seen a lot of uh, different stuff going on in the markets. We were down, uh, for the most part, last week. I know we also got into Q1 earnings that kicked off last week. And we also had some pretty interesting vaccine news, uh, especially with the J&J um, issue where it was off the market for a couple of days, a couple of weeks ago as well. So we're going to get into that. We're also going to get into the Iran and Russia tensions uh, for a little bit. I'm going to discuss that we saw last week that I'm actually surprised didn't even have a direct effect on the stock market. And then we're going to get into a little bit of cryptocurrency with Masoom. Kyle's going to go over some of the uh, political stuff going on around in the country with Joe Biden. Um, and then our second half of the show, actually, we're going to have Brendan, who spoke with us a couple weeks ago, and, um, and uh, one of our other um, associates in the paper fund, Jack Campbell. He's also going to discuss options with everyone with Brendan for the second half of the show. So to kick it off, we're going to go through our market analysis. So last week, we saw pretty uh, large declines across all major indices. We saw the Dow Jones was down a little under 0.5%, S&P about 0.2%, NASDAQ at 0.25%, and we actually saw the Russell 2000 up almost 0.4%. Um, but the three major indices all down for the week. Um, we saw that, we saw that per, per, primarily we saw that in the tech sector, consumer surplus, communication, energy was the biggest loss, over 1.7% down. Um, but we saw REITs were up over 2%, healthcare over 1.77%, uh, in, in, in uh, industries, um, materials, financials, they were all shredding green the entire week but we really saw those tech sectors kind of get hit and we're going to get into earnings this week i know we have tesla tomorrow after uh, after market hours with their earnings coming out we have microsoft i believe on tuesday uh, with, with boeing as well we have wednesday we have facebook and apple um and then to cap off the rest of the week we have our oil uh, stocks as well um but to kind of look look at last week so we saw a lot of strong corporate earnings from major companies we saw j and j hit big um, we even saw a couple uh, materials ones like Home Depot also. And then we also saw REITs. They were leading the markets. Um, we saw a, a pretty uh, decrease in the um, hospitalizations also for vaccines. We saw more vaccines coming up. I know that's something Kyle's going to get into in a little bit. But we saw healthcare kind of take that big leap. Um, taking a look at our portfolio, we were still down on a couple stocks like Moderna. Pfizer pretty much traded even. Sanofi traded even. And J&J uh, beat earnings by 2%, and they uh, increased their fiscal year guidance as well. Um, kind of taking more into everything as a whole, about 9% of the S&P 500 companies reported their earnings, and the blended earnings growth rate was about 30% against the preseason consensus of 24.5. So that we definitely saw uh, earnings being beaten across the board for most of our major companies. Um, but on the side, though, something that I thought was interesting was the whole thing with the Iran headlines with Russia. And that's something that um, we didn't think. Uh, well, personally, I thought it was going to have a more direct impact on the stock market. But we saw a bunch of uh, meetings between the U.S. and Iran. They concluded another week of indirect talks uh, in Vienna, actually, where they were trying to bring back Tehran uh, back in the compliance with the 2015 nuclear accord. Um, and with actually that's going to take place next week. Well, this upcoming week, again, with some more meetings, there were no breakthroughs. The U.S. officials said that there weren't any there was nothing put in place, but they're just having a lot of discussions around it. They're trying to kind of ease the tensions with Russia. Um, and then Russia's obviously their their massive military buildup facing Ukraine. Uh, Putin said that um, there's a lot of red lines 
and that there's a, a lot of uh, tensions going on. So they're trying to kind of um, lessen those. And obviously the tensions came from uh, Chinese when they were actually regarding Taiwan and they were trying to, uh, they were trying to go in there and there's all, there's a whole like trade work kind of going on with them. So that's something to kind of keep an eye on. Um, a lot of analysts were surprised that the stock market t- didn't take a hit from this. Um, but that's just something to keep an eye on for like global news with finance. And the other thing was just real quick, um, we're taking a look at some of the, um, some of the treasuries as well. I mean, they were slightly firmer across the curve. We didn't really see anything. Dollar was down though on major crosses. Gold was lower. They finished down about 0.1%. Oil was down as well. They settled down about 1.7%. And we still are seeing that correction with oil prices going up. Uh, personally, I think by the end of the summer, we're going to be back to kind of where we were. Uh, a lot of the, um, refineries in Texas are coming back online. And we're also seeing, I know this is something I uh, was discussing the other day with some people about kind of the housing market. We see a lot of the inventory with lumber mills up north kind of coming back online as well. So I think we kind of are seeing that correction also maybe in the housing market for the next couple months. So a lot of corrections going on and the vaccines are going up and um, we're going to get J&J back on the market as well. So I think that's going to transition right into our next piece with Kyle. Kyle's going to kind of take you guys into what happened with J&J and Kind of give us the whole overview with the vaccine. Thanks, Steve. So down into a little bit on the uh, world news regarding the pandemic right now. Obviously, the J&J vaccine was revoked from being administered. Um, so I'm going to talk a little bit about kind of what happened there um, and what the course of action is from here on out. Um, so before I go into the J&J vaccine itself, I'm just going to talk about the pandemic and vaccine news in general. And this news is primarily being reported from the CDC and some statistics that I pulled from their uh, sources and their website. Um, But as of right now, nearly 8% of Americans have failed to get their second dose of the COVID-19 vaccine. Um, And this is according to the federal health statistics. Um, And I thought that was interesting because I was reading an article, um, which I have pulled up right here from the New York Post, um, and they explain how people that have gotten their first dose believe that they have enough efficacy um, to kind of go by and go through life. Um, and they don't feel like they need to get a second vaccine. Um, so I figured I'd at least get your input on David and assume on kind of what are your guys' takes on like people who get one vaccine and they realize that there's symptoms that come along with the vaccine and then they decide, oh, well, I'm not going to get a second dose because I feel sick. Like, do you guys feel like that's, that's wise of them, or do you guys feel like that's kind of like, what's what's your kind of take on that whole whole deal? Yeah, um, I mean, personally, like, I think that's why most people might have been going for the J&J one shot, but obviously now there's a lot of concerns with the efficacy of it. I mean, I don't really think the first shot for Moderna and Pfizer really give you that many symptoms. Like, I mean, I just had mine, and I was 100% fine, just obviously, like, sore arm. I don't really know of anybody that had like symptoms that were sick. Usually that's after shot two. So I don't really like see it being an issue. Um, I'm just seeing more people like, you know, shying away from the J and J like now they, they would rather want the two shot one. So I'm assuming, what do you think about it all? I, I definitely think that um, people are like more, I think um, for them, it's more, um, favorable the J&J with the J&J vaccine because you know it's just a one-shot process but we also know that there's it's not a 100 percent um you know success rate in terms of these vaccines and you know there have been a lot of cases 
um, that people have had side effects or it didn't really ex um, uh, exactly have the same effect as other people. So uh, it, it's just, you know, it's, it's a process and I think people just need to kind of um, even if like after the first dose, they have some kind of symptoms, um, they still need to go through that second process because who knows, I think it's just the body reacting to change. And so it's going to take time for them to adjust. And then eventually they'll, they'll have to take the second dose so that, um, you know, it can, I mean, then it can be more, then the success rate, you know, becomes a lot more higher. So, um, you know, the only, the only thing I would say is just, you know, give it a bit more time to, uh, for your body to adjust um, with the vaccine. Yeah, thanks for uh, those comments, Basum. I thought that was pretty insightful. Um, I think I think it's very interesting, and that kind of ties in next to the um, the J and J uh, vaccine itself that I wanted to talk about. So, uh, pretty much what we saw uh, this past week, um, the J and J vaccine was put on a ten day hiatus. Um, and so essentially what we saw on Friday, this past Friday, was that the, um, the uh, independent government advisory panel voted in favor of resuming the J&J vaccine. However, there is a new warning, um, a general warning to the public about potential um, uh, blood clots that we saw in the news. So in regards to the J&J vaccine, we saw on Friday that the independent government advisory panel voted in favor of resuming the J&J COVID vaccine. Um, obviously, we saw that there were extremely rare um, blood clotting in a few patients that received the vaccine, um, and I'll get into some statistics on that in a second. Um, the 10-day pause was lifted on Friday, and what we saw is that out of 8 million uh, administered J&J vaccines, that there were only 15 confirmed cases of rare blood clotting, and um, in those 15 confirmed cases, all the cases were in women under 60. And, um, and only three of them did not survive out of the 15. Uh, with those statistics in mind, uh, the independent advisory panel decided that um, uh, it is worth pursuing and um, resuming administration for this vaccine. Um, and so uh, I was just going to get your guys' take kind of on what's kind of your initial reaction to the J&J &J vaccine being resumed despite there being 15 people that were suffering really severe blood clotting. Like, do you think it's safe that they're resuming this or do you think they should still keep it on hold? Because in my own personal instinct, I mean, those are still 15 lives that are being severely impacted. Um, obviously I know that a lot more can be saved, but um, what's your guys' take on that? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think, uh, well, I didn't actually see the, um, the 15 i just saw the six but were they majority women or were there a men, were there men mixed yeah well? they were all women they're all under the age of 60 gotcha. yeah so i think like my reaction to that i mean i was reading stuff about like birth control like the chances of that giving you like blood clots is like higher or something so maybe it's just like a medication they're all taking that's maybe mixing because i mean it's it's all women under this you know the same age group and obviously there's medications that they take that men don't take that could have a little bit of a mix you never know so and I think the one woman actually died. Uh, there was one fatality eventually right. you know, with the whole thing. So I don't really know. I mean, I guess like J and J. I mean, I'm not really a um, a fan of like the pharma industry in general. So I mean, like honestly, like I I think they obviously knew like you know we're gonna lose money if we just take it off and uh, you know everything like that. But I mean, again, like to be fair, like this whole vaccine thing was sort of rushed in a way, right? I mean, it was like you know, we have to get it out on the market. It was approved by FDA for emergency use only. And then 
eventually, I mean, obviously nothing's 100% and their effectiveness was so low initially. But the reason why people wanted it is because there weren't as many symptoms as the Pfizer and Moderna. So, I mean, personally, I just think it went back online because of the money thing. And like, um, you know, if somebody's listening to this that, you know, works at J&J or something, I mean, I don't really care to say this, but like, I think it all comes down to like, you know, it's profits over healthcare at this point with people like caring about people. Um, so, I mean, there's a reason why, you know, the Moderna CEO and all of them cashed out their billions of stocks and things like that when it all happened. Like, so I'm not surprised that there were issues, but I'm just kind of cautious now thinking, well, you know, could this happen with anybody? I mean, I don't know if you saw or not, but there was a study in Israel that the Pfizer vaccine now has a link to heart conditions on their men under 30 now. I mean, I know that's in Israel. That's not in the U.S., but I mean, I feel like every vaccine is going to have somebody saying something. But yeah, it's kind of just my reaction. I just think they put it back online just because of the money thing. Mr. do you have any thoughts? or? Um... Yeah, I was just um, going to mention that I, I, I think with the J&J vaccine, a lot of people are more... Um, I mean, they are kind of wary at first, but it's it's. I think it's like for a certain number of people, um, at least for people with no underlying conditions, I think it'll be more um, uh, interesting to them because they it. Uh, I it really don't know the whole scientific um, reasons behind which vaccine has which, but I, I do know that the J and J vaccine doesn't have uh, the same technology as um, the Moderna one. And I think because of that, um, sometimes, you know, it, it might have a different side effect on people. Um, and the idea for companies to hold hold on to the vaccines for a lot longer and, you know, um, having very less maintenance with the J&J vaccine, I think is also, um, is also something that companies or um, mass, mass, um, mass producers or mass, um, you know, mass hospitals that want to keep this, you know, is, is really looking for this uh, certain, certain type of vaccine. So, um, I mean, J and J is going to definitely going to have to, you know, um, do a lot more tests um, in, in the near future, just so that um, they can see what exactly they want to get to uh, with the vaccine or how, or what the, res the results that they want to acquire. Um, but I definitely think that JNG vaccine is going to be a lot more successful in the future. Yeah, I appreciate those comments. I think so. I think the JNG vaccine will definitely be much more beneficial going into the future in the long run. And uh, to kind of wrap up this whole discussion on the vaccine news in general, I just wanted to throw in there that according to the CDC website, in terms of vaccinations in the U.S., um, obviously we're in the U.S., so I feel like this relates to us. Um, but right now, uh, 138 million people have received at least one dose of the vaccine. And out of um, those 138 million, uh, 93 million are currently fully vaccinated. Um, so which is kind of statistics to keep in mind. Um, and it's, it's great to see such high numbers. Um, and I hope to see those numbers increasing in positive trends. But uh, with that in mind, um, assume I'm gonna pass the baton over to you if you wanna maybe discuss some of the cryptocurrencies. Um, related to Bitcoin, Dogecoin, all that. Thank you, Kyle, for, for all that insightful information. Um, now, you know, cryptocurrency has been a hot topic, um, you know, beginning this year, and it's even getting hotter now. Um, the past week or two has been very volatile for both, uh, for, for the major cryptos, um, and one of them is that has been on the radar um, 
or that has just shown up on the radar is Dogecoin as well, which has also seen crazy amounts of volatility. Um, and so what happened last week was Dogecoin reached at um, at a high of about 45, 46 cents. Um, I think up from beginning this year was um, was not even a cent. Um, so correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that was that's over two thousand, three thousand percent. Um, no, actually, that it's it's actually a lot higher. Um, correct. But I definitely think that the crypto market is is just gonna get hotter. And um, right now, Bitcoin and Dogecoin are at pretty low right now. Uh, Bitcoin has at about 50k um, down from 60, 63 that we've seen uh, last week, which is uh, which has been a major dip. And one of the major reasons for that is because of the of Joe Biden's um, new uh, um, capital capital gains um, tax implications of this, and so a lot of people are shying away from cryptos because uh, a lot of people really just want to make some quick trades, um, but they also w- realize that the tax implications are pretty high, and so we've seen these crazy amounts of volatility. Um, crazy amount of volatility with, with cryptos in general. But I do think that one of the other um, reasons is because of liquidity. I, I don't think that in the market there, um, people are shying away because it's not really liquid as, of, uh, as it was uh, in the past, just because of um, the tax implications and also um, the, the consumer confidence with, with the pricing or the valuation of the cryptos. People really don't understand the concept behind cryptos, and I think people are being ignorant about it. Um, or maybe that's why they're not really into investing any cryptos. But I think what they need to do is just get getting more educated. And then there's a lot of platforms that do educate people about cryptos in general and what what they are. Um, I definitely think that it's it's something of you know um, of value in the future. But it, it's just it, not a lot of people are educated about it. Um, but I, I definitely love to hear your thoughts on how um, it's going to shape up the economy in the next decade or so. Yeah, and I know we have a couple more minutes before we wrap up this portion of the um, um, podcast. But yeah, I think, I mean, I know with the Bitcoin thing, I mean, I'm pretty sure. I mean, I know, Brendan, you can interject on this if you want as well. Um, with the mining, how like most of it's already mined or it's like 90% mined or something like that. And I know like we even saw like, Bitcoin, like they were down like 9,000 or whatever, like last week alone or something. They were down huge. Is that correct, Brendan? Yeah, I'm not entirely sure. I'm not too big into crypto, but um, I know that a lot of Bitcoin is mined. I'm not sure on the exact percentage, but I do know, for example, this is just to my knowledge, I could be wrong, that Dogecoin has an unlimited supply. Is that true, Masoom? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's 100 billion tokens. That's, That's the limit. Um, they do have a limit and, yeah. uh, but they haven't, you know, stopped and my, like, it's still, you know, um, they're still producing it, which is why a lot of investors are kind of shying away because of the volume of Dogecoin. I think if they kind of reduce it or maybe fractionize it somehow, then, you know, the volume might go up. That's why it's very hard for Dogecoin to uh, maybe reach a dollar. Even if they do, then there's going to be a huge burst in the bubble, like, because, let's say people want to um, exit their position, how are they going to get that much amount of money uh, with the position they have? So 
that's that's one of the big reasons that Dogecoin isn't able to um, uh, be constant or be stable uh, as 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 uh, as Bitcoin. Yeah, I'm just looking here. It's Dogecoin has a hundred billion a uh, hundred billion token limit, and Bitcoin only has twenty one million as their limit. So it's far more, far bigger. I mean, yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. I know, like uh, Janet Yellen, I know uh, mentioned, I know Brenda mentioned, like she's not really too fond about it. And I think she mentioned uh, capital taxes or whatever being uh, capital gains being taxed up to eighty like percent. She wanted to uh, pass something, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, obviously, like, is this? I guess the real question is: is is this being accepted? You know, is this going to be the new um, something new that's going to be accepted? I mean, I think society. I think it's a lot of it's just speculation, of course, but you also have the uh, you know the risks of it being anonymous and somebody hacking in. So I don't really know. I mean, I think it's too soon to kind of see like how this could go in the long run. But I think there's definitely some like security issues I'd be worried about. What about you, Kyle? Yeah, I was going to ask. I'm assuming you probably know better than than I do. But um, are like cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and Dogecoin are they backed by any kind of like you know how there's like the federal the FTI? So, like, are they backed by anything, or are they just kind of on their own? Um, no, they're independent. That's what makes them attractive uh, to a lot of people because they don't have any regulations. Gotcha. Yeah, and you stay anonymous as well. Like you don't have to give them any identity when you when you do them. Everybody's. I don't even think they know even who came up with Bitcoin. There's like speculation of who, but you don't even know. And there's no trail of it, right? Like, let's say you make a transaction. There's really no trail of uh, anything that you do online. So um, that's also attractive to people because I mean, I guess it would be more attractive to people with um, with I guess in the black market or um we call it black money i guess but uh that's just something that people are trying to adopt so that or even um because they know it's of value for them maybe not um not entirely for like people that uh that follow the rules and regulations and i'm not saying that you know it's it's attractive to people who don't follow them but it's just um i guess a safe haven for other people that uh they can rely on Okay, awesome. Yeah, so I think that's going to uh, wrap up our first half of the show today. I know we're very, uh, we're very interested in seeing kind of how the next couple of weeks come up with the markets. Um, with everything going on, I mean, I know we're getting into the summer now with everything and vaccines. So something to definitely keep an eye on. Um, but for now, so we're going to pass it on now to Brendan and Jack. They're going to uh, take us through a little bit of the options, discussions they want to have with all of you today. And um, they're going to kind of close up our show for the second half. So guys, whenever you're ready. Thanks for handing it over, David. Um, for those of you who didn't hear the last podcast, I'm Brennan Convery. I'm a sophomore finance major with a concentration in private wealth at Rider University. And uh, I'm Jack. I'm a current sophomore at High Point University studying finance and business administration. And I also do our options portfolio with Brendan and do our watch list every day. So we're going to start off and kind of teach you all about some options. So what is an option? An option is the right, but not the obligation to buy or sell 100 shares of a certain stock at a specified strike price by a certain date. So there's calls and there's puts. Say you you would buy a call if you're bullish on a company and you would buy a put if you're bearish on a company. And if, a, say, a call option is not above a strike price by expiration date, it will become worthless. Vice versa, if a put option is not below what strike you bought it at, it will also be worthless. So some of these background terms, strike price. The strike price is what you think 
the price of a stock will hit. So say you might believe a stock will hit $50 within the next three months. So you'll buy a $50 strike price. And one of my tips for this is make sure you buy a strike price that doesn't have super low volume because say this, say your theory doesn't go your way, you need to be able to exit that position. And one thing I've kind of noticed as I've been trading options, um, I found that uh, like strikes like 30 or 35 will have a lot more volume than say like a 27.5. I'm not really sure the psychology behind it, but that's just how it seems to be. Then we'll talk about premiums a little. So premium is the price you pay for an option. So say an option is listed at 0.53. What the true cost would be is 0.53 times 100 since you're dealing with the right to buy or sell 100 shares. So it would basically cost you $53. Now what the break even is, is total revenues equal total expenses. So what this is, is in order to find out what it is, uh, the strike price plus the premium. So say you believe a stock will hit $20 and you purchase a call option that costs 0.33. So your break-even price would be 20.33. But that being said, even if you're not at your break-even, say the stock does go up a lot and you feel that you want to take profits, you can do that at any point. I'll also bring up implied volatility, which is also known as IV. And what this is, is it's the market's forecast of likely movement in a securities price. And it is also used to, and it's used to like price options. So for example, a stock with a very high IV might have a more expensive premium compared to one with a lower IV. And IV is constantly changing and it can go up or down based on what is occurring in the market and news with maybe the underlying ticker. And uh, to add to this max loss, there's like a max loss on an option. Say you're like buying an option, it'll basically be what whatever you put in. Uh, you could lose that, but there's also, there's no capped gain unless you're doing like spreads, but we're not gonna really get into that today. So now I guess we'll talk a little bit about the options Greeks. So there's Delta, Gamma, Theta, Vega, and Rho. Now we're gonna talk a little bit about the options Greeks. So we'll start with Delta. Delta is the impact of the underlying price per $1. So I'll give a quick example on that. Say you buy a call on a company that is currently worth 29, uh, the share price is currently worth $29 and you buy a, a premium that costs you 0.57 and the Delta is 0.28. And after buying the stock, the or after buying the stock option, the price of the actual stock goes up to $30. So what would happen here is 0.28 would be added to 0.57. So the premium would now be worth 0.85 because that's the Delta added to the premium. Then we'll talk about the gamma, which would come right after the delta. And what the gamma does is it, it actually directly affects the delta. And I'll give another example here. So say you buy a call option when a stock price is at 112 and it goes to 114. So we'll say this premium costs you $2.01. The delta is 0.46 and the gamma is 0.07. So when the stock price hits 113, uh, the premium is then going to be worth uh, $2.47 because that's the premium plus the what the delta is. And then when the premium hits $114, it will cost $3. And to explain that is the difference between the thir going to $13 and $14 is it's going to be the delta 
plus the gamma, which that'll be 0.53. And you add 0.53 to $2.47. And that is how you get the $3 premium. Now I'm going to pass it on to Jack, who's going to explain the other Greeks. All right. So uh, to continue from what Brendan was saying, uh, we have the theta, which is the impact of passage of time uh, per each day. It's affected by time until expiration, price, and volatility. Um, it's usually expressed as a negative number, indicating how much the options value will decline every day up to maturity. All right, so now on the Vega. Uh, Vega impact is measured by the impact of volatility change per 1%, and it's affected by time until expiration and volatility, of course. Um, so Vega measures an options price value relative to changes in implied volatility. Uh, Vega changes when there's a large price movement during uh, times of increased volatility, so during an earnings or an investor's day or any kind of catalyst that could affect the stock um, and falls the option approaches expiration. So next up is Rho. Uh, it's impacted by, it measures the impact of interest rates change, interest rate changes uh, by 1% and it's affected by interest rates and time until expiration. Um, an example is assume a call option has a row of 0.05 and a price of $1.25. Uh, and if interest rates rise by 1%, the value of the call option would increase to $1.30, all else being equal. And the opposite is true for put options. Row is greatest for at the money options with long times until expiration. So real quick, one other thing I wanted to mention before, and Jack brought this up, sometimes in times of earnings, uh, the implied volatility will rise. And I just want to say you have to be careful buying at times like this because you can get something called an IV crush. And that's basically as the implied volatility is dying down, the contract price will also go down with it. So that's one thing that I just wanted to make sure that everybody hears so you can watch that. Now, Jack, uh, I know you might want to talk about a recent options challenge you're doing, so I'll hand it back over to you. So basically, uh, over the past week, I've been working on this $500 to $5,000 challenge uh, using solely options. Uh, I've been doing this kind of to challenge myself as a trader and you know, grow my, grow my portfolio with a small amount of money and um, just see how far I can take it. So my goal is to hit $5,000 by June 1st. Uh, I have about 26 trading days left. And so far, I've only made seven trades within nine days. Uh, at this current moment, I've gone from 490 to 1,500, and, which is about a 210% gain, uh, which I'm very proud of. And then my whole strategy, besides the first play where I bet a lot of the account um, on it, which was about... a 80% gain, I believe. Um, I've just been focusing on scalping and like taking profit consistently and never letting a green trade go red. Yeah, basically just using those like strategies, it helps manage your risk and, you know, makes you a consistently better trader. And that's pretty much it for that. David, uh, we could wrap it up there. I just want to say thanks again for having us on. Yeah, no problem, guys. And uh, Kyle, I'm assume you have any last minute words i know we always uh do this thing or show anything you guys want to say before we wrap it up for the weekend yeah i just want to say thanks again for having us today um brendan and jack thanks for coming out um always great talking to you guys and i'm looking forward to seeing how the markets do and um looking forward to our next podcast but yeah thank you thanks for having us yeah i just want to say um you know i think it was a great session it was a great session by brendan and jack and learned a lot about options i i 
I personally do options, but I really don't know that much knowledge in depth. Um, so it was definitely a great session and hopefully a lot of people learn more from this. So thanks guys. Yeah, and no, I agree. And the, the Greek, um, the Greek letters, of course, are something that always confuses me. So I really appreciate the in-depth kind of explanations and how they all relate to each other. So I think that's definitely going to help our viewers. Um, so yeah, so that kind of wraps up our show for today. So we're going to do another one in two weeks. And in terms of the guests, we'll probably start to have uh, more people coming on from our capital fund we have, uh, potentially some professionals working at companies in the near future. So if anybody uh, has any questions or wants to reach out to any of us, just let us know if anyone has any specific questions or topics we want to address. I know I keep mentioning there is an option on our Spotify and Anchor account that you can uh, insert questions and you can kind of interact with us because um, we can see kind of who listens and where they're coming from around the world. So please take advantage of that if there's anything you want us to cover. Uh, but again, on behalf of DKM Capital and um, our entire fun, hope everyone has a great rest of their weekend and we'll see all of you in two weeks.